Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you to you. What an inspiring passage. A long passage of scripture, a long reading, um, but it's good to read God's word together. And let's pray as we come to consider it more. Lord God, you are the author of creation. You made this world. Uh, you created everything, the whole universe that we can observe. And you are the author of history. You're working your purposes out through ge the generations. And Lord, as we think about these people of faith down through the ages, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and encourage us that we may know what faith is and that we would be inspired and empowered to live for by faith uh, for for our lives in our time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our series on Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And over the next few weeks, uh, we will be looking at these application sections of the book of Hebrews. After doing all of the hard work of theology and understanding what God has done for us in the cross of Christ, um, now the author turns to practical application. How do we put this into practice in our lives? And he calls us to various things. Uh, last week, Dan spoke on the call to perseverance. This week we see a follow-up on the call to put faith into action. Then the call to run our race. <coughs> then the call to holiness. And finally the call to love. And then we hit Christmas, which is not far away. Um, so as we come to this passage today, uh, I want to just recap the very end of chapter 10 before we get into chapter 11. So if you're following along with me in your Bibles or on your um, phones or devices, um, turn to chapter 10, verses 9, oh, sorry, 19 to 39 is the whole section, but turn right to the end of that section, chapter 10, verse 36 to 39. Chapter 10 ends with these words, and they're very significant for chapter 11. It says, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So this is the context of the chapter 11 that we just read. It is in the context of this challenge, this warning, that we must persevere in the faith. And this encouragement, this reminder of the future, of Christ's return to judge the living and the dead. If the way to persevere is to live by faith, 
then the logical question for us is, well, how do we live by faith, isn't it? What does this faith look like? What is faith? And how does it work in your life? So chapter 11 logically answers these questions. What is faith? What does it look like? What does it mean to live by faith? And it starts out with a brief definition in chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, followed by a list of examples. Um, A list of inspiring people of faith that we've just been hearing about. And as people, we love to hear stories of others, and we find a lot of inspiration in hearing other people's stories. I don't know if you read biographies. Um, It's quite amazing um, seeing uh, other people's life stories. Um, I don't know if you have watched um, like Ando and his painting and he's talking to people about their life stories and it's quite profound, isn't it? As he chats with them and you get this, wow, it's quite inspiring. Understanding what their journey has been, what they've gone through um, and the struggles and the highlights of their life. Well, here, the author of Hebrews takes us through looking at all of these inspiring people. There's lots of things where we look at inspiring people. Um, you know, like maybe like uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, you know, where they have the stars of movie stars, music stars, whatever it is, in the um, in the footpath of Hollywood Boulevard in California. Or maybe there's like the Inventors Hall of Fame, which is um, celebrating all of these great inventors who've done great things that have changed the world and made the world a better place. Or maybe there's the the Cricket Hall of Fame. the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. When I was uh, a young boy, I used to like watching the cricket with my dad, and you know, see the great cricketers playing. Uh, and then you go, "Wow, look at look at how many runs they got!" And the Cricket Hall of Fame will celebrate all of that. Um, so, of course, Don Bradman being like the the standout. Looking at that, he's got a top score of like 300. What is it? Don, the Don, 334, a top score. That's a huge score if you know cricket. It's a huge score. And an average score of 99.94, which is a phenomenal average uh, to get something like that. And we, we celebrate um, great people and their great achievements, don't we? So here in Hebrews 11, we get a kind of an honor roll of great people, great achievements of the faith. And I want to just have three points in this talk. I want to define what faith is from those first two verses. Then I want to just look through this honor roll of faith. And um, uh, before doing that, though, I want to ask the question, what faith is not? So what faith is, what faith is not? And then some inspiring stories and examples of faith through the Bible. So firstly, what faith is? Um, in, you'll see that in verse 1 there with me. If you read that, um, it says that faith is being, is, is being confident of we, what we hope for, depending on your translation, um, assurance of what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So faith is the ability to move forward in confident hope 
despite not being able to see the realities now. Someone's got their um, narrator going or something on their phone. Um, Text-to-speech? No, I don't know what it is. Um, You know, I guess when we talk about faith, a lot of people are skeptical and they dismiss faith. Um, So this is kind of like the stereotypical skeptical uh, meme, right? And I've got to admit that sometimes this is me. Sometimes when I hear things, I'm like... Really? I'm not so sure about that. Sometimes I can be fairly hard to convince of things. And I think my family gets very frustrated with this because they'll come up with all these great ideas and I'm like, I don't know about this. And they have to work really hard to convince me that actually this is going to be a great idea. Um, Sometimes we can be like that when it comes to faith in God. And I think it's understandable if you have friends who are a bit like, Really? Um, When it comes to God? Um, I guess we can understand that. The truths that we read about in the Bible are completely at odds with a a secular worldview. And so we have these two completely different worldviews. But let's have a look at some of the things, misconceptions about faith, what faith is not. What faith is not. Faith is not wishful thinking. Sometimes people say faith is just, well, it's like I'm I'm hoping for something, I'm wishing for something. And maybe like it's it's a, a reality that you just kind of project. It's not real, it's just a projection, just wishful thinking. Sometimes people think that's faith. Well, clearly from our definition here in Hebrews, biblical faith is not wishful thinking. Secondly, some people think that faith is illogical, that it's, um, it doesn't make sense. And from the Bible here, we can see that actually that's very untrue of biblical faith. Biblical faith doesn't mean putting your brain on the shelf, like uh, a lot of people will claim that faith is just, um, you know, suspending um, judgment and, and just going along, being brainwashed. Um, That's not faith at all, is it? It's talking about an assurance, a confidence that is based on uh, facts about realities uh, that you've experienced about God and about the world. It's not illogical. It is logical. It's not an irrational thing. It is rational. It's something that we consciously think through and we wrestle with to make sure that it's true. It involves all of our faculties, all of our logic, um, all of our understanding to wrestle with faith. It's not a blind leap, is it? Sometimes people think of um, faith as, I've got nothing and I'm just stepping out into this dark area and I don't know if I'm going to step on solid ground or something. Sometimes people think about faith like that. Um, You've just got to, you've just got to have faith. and that means kind of, that's kind of code for like, don't think about it, just believe it. But the Bible never presents faith in that way. Faith is always grounded on evidence, on logic, on experience, on understanding of the world. So faith is not a blind leap against the evidence. Uh, faith is based on the evidence. Next, 
some people think faith is all you need. All you need is faith. You just got to have faith. And it's faith in anything, something. It's just a good thing to have faith, right? You think it's a, it's a, it's a devotion, a personal trust in something that we need. But the biblical picture of faith is not that at all. It's not having faith that's important. It's what you have faith in. It's not how much faith you have, or if you have faith or not. We all have faith in something. We're all making judgments about something. So the atheist has faith in their judgments about, in their decisions about what to believe. They have a, a faith. Faith is just a reliance on something. So what's important is not having faith or not having faith. It's what your faith is in, what you're trusting in, what you're relying on. So faith is not all you need. You need to make sure your faith is in the right thing. We all have faith. We're all trusting on something, relying on something. Are you relying on the right things? Uh, next, faith is not a ticket to prosperity. Some people think that faith is just uh, something that you use. If you have enough faith, then God will bless you. If you pray hard enough and you're confident enough in your prayer, then your prayer is just going to be miraculously answered. And if your faith levels are high enough, then boom, you get, um, you get your faith answered and they think health, wealth and prosperity. Um, well, that's not the way faith works. It's not like uh, faith is the, the stick with which you bash the piñata of divine blessings and the, sh the blessings rain down. Um, that's, that's not faith. Um, and you see that as we read that through, that will come out more. That faith involved both incredible blessing and glory and experience of miracles, but it also involved suffering and hardship in this life. And lastly, of the things that I'm kind of, the misconceptions of faith I'm looking at here, are, are faith is not just knowing or agreeing with a set of beliefs. Some people think that if I just understand the Bible rightly, if I just know what to believe, what, what is true, then that's enough. But here from this definition, we see that faith is a confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see, and it results in action, moving forward with that confidence and that sure hope. So it's not just agreeing with a set of beliefs and ticking off, yep, I agree with that, 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 okay, done. It's about your life. It's about living, trusting and relying on God. So we've seen what faith is and what faith is not. Now I think we have a little bit of time to look through these inspiring examples of faith. And we see what the life of faith looks like in action. And I think here we see some surprising things. We see some surprising things as we look at these. But I just want to give you, like I guess, first of all, the big picture of this, um, this section. This section from chapter... So 11 verse 3 through till um, just before the end of the chapter in, um, in verse, uh, verse 38, 
we see there's a summary of these inspiring examples. And there's four sections. Firstly, from verse 1 to 7, there's, they're divided by historical eras. Okay, so firstly in verse uh, 3 to 7, sorry, there's the antediluvian era. Now, if that sounds a bit weird, it just means the time before the flood. Okay, so um, theological speak. Uh, antediluvian era, the time before the flood, up to Noah, right? And then you have the patriarchal era. So that's like the patriarchs, the forefathers, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before the nation of Israel is formed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and their era. And that goes from um, verse 8 um, through to Joseph in verse 22. And then you have the Mosaic era, the era of Moses, okay, from verse 23 through to 31. And then it's like the author hits this spot and he goes like, you know, I've only got, you know, three little parts through biblical history here. Like, um, I'm up to Moses, the giving of the law, and, you know, I'm going to just use up too much time, so I just summarize and go, okay, I don't have any, he says in verse 32, what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell you about, da, 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 da. And he's going, okay, I'm running out of time. I'd like to say more, 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 but hey, I've got to keep going. And so he just quickly glosses over the whole rest of history. So, so it's like he got he got uh, three chapters in to a, to a thousand chapter book. <laughs> and he's going, you get the picture, guys. You get the picture. Um, but let's take a look at some of these eras. And I want to draw out some of the interesting details. Um, so in verse 3, we read, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. He starts with creation. Creation of all that is seen from things that are not seen. And this is significant in this whole section before the flood. This concept of what is seen and unseen is really important. That we're living by faith in an unseen God who created a seen world out of unseen things. And you notice when he starts with creation, he he gives the foundation for the whole Christian worldview, um, the view that God is the creator of everything. Now, my astrophysicist friend who has a PhD in astrophysics said, basically, when it all boils down, you've got two options about the origins of life, the universe, everything. You've got God, or some intelligent being, uh, created matter. Well, that's the biblical worldview. Or you've got matter just was forever. That's when it all boils down, right? Because you can't have something coming from nothing. But can matter just exist forever? So you see, at a foundational level, we all have faith in something. We're having faith in, if we have a secular, godless worldview, that God does not exist, that we're um, Dawkins, we're the result of blind, pitiless indifference, pure chance, that there is no meaning to life, that uh, this is just all um, a, a cosmic accident, then you've got eternal matter. And you have faith that... We're just here as a result of chance and matter just always has been. Or you've got the other option that matter had a beginning and that a 
intelligent being created matter. And I think the evidence points much more strongly in that direction, doesn't it? When you think about the complexity of life, how the world is fine-tuned for life, um, the evidence points towards an intelligent designer. How could blind, pitiless indifference create intelligence? But, obviously, these are the questions that people wrestle with. Um, and here we see, first of all, this worldview is grounded in creation. Secondly, in verse 4, he goes on to tell some of the stories of people. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. He says, faith leads to right worship. What made Abel's offering better than Cain's? It was his attitude towards God. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Next, he goes to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. He was commended as one who pleased God, it says. And it says in verse 6, because anyone who comes to him um, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So believing that God exists, that's a good place to start. And he says here that this is how you please God, through faith, through trusting him, relying on him, and moving forward in action based on that. Then he talks about Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, this flood that everyone said was never going to happen. But Noah goes, okay, I'll trust you, God. I'll build this boat in the middle of the desert and just trust you on that one. And... Uh, Sure enough, the flood comes and his faith is vindicated. Things not seen. Then he goes on to the forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he talks about Abraham going out, trusting God, even though he didn't know where he was going or where God was leading him, looking for a promised land. And then he says in verse 10, he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was, he's saying Abraham was not looking just for a physical land. He was looking for an eternal home. God's ultimate city, which we read about in Revelation. And then down in verse 13, after you see in verse 12 the promises of Ab uh, to Abraham vindicated, the faith rewarded, his descendants did come, become as many as the stars, just like God had promised. Um, God had promised him, you know, uh, the, the descendants, the land, the blessing, and he gets all of that. But then it says in verse 13, um, despite this, he said, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore God is not ashamed to call to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So he's saying even these Old Testament believers were looking forward. They experienced in part the fulfillment of promises, but most of those promises were still yet to be fulfilled. And they walked forward in faith, trusting God who would bring those promises to final fulfillment. Um, next we read how in, in this patriarchal period it seems like at the end of it he's talking about people dying in faith if you look at um, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau he's just saying that's his, his deathbed blessing um, and, and he died in faith by faith Jacob when he was dying blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff when he was dying he died in faith trusting God and blessing his children. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So faith is not just how to live well, but how to die well with expectant hope that God will fulfill his promises to us. We read about Moses, how his parents hid him, and he, he chose suffering with Israel rather than the glories of Egypt. Because in verse 27, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the, the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So by faith Joseph and, and the others had died in faith. By faith Moses now um, learnt about God's sacrifice in Jesus in, in a, I guess, a, a picture of that that we have in the Passover God was teaching him about a substitute who would die for our sins, who would take away our sins and would die in our place, pointing forward to Jesus. Then we see by faith um, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down as they just marched around and they saw this great city. And they said, God, really? You want us to just march around it seven times we're going to look silly and they did and the walls came crashing down they achieved the unthinkable and then he talks about by faith the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies was not killed with those who were disobedient here the the, the outcast of the enemy people is welcomed in. We've had all these heroes of faith that we might expect, right? Well, here is a surprise. One of the heroes of faith is the enemy. And the despisedest, most despised one of the enemy. And she has faith and she's welcomed in. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And then he goes on to his, what shall, well, shall we say, what more shall we say, um, quick summary. And he summarizes all these great victories and then all these great sufferings. And you see how 
this is this is not something that you can just be assured of victory. If you if you're getting victory in faith, great. You're experiencing some of the the promises coming true. But then if you're suffering in faith, that may be what you experience. But hold on is the message for us and for the Hebrews. In verse 39 and 40, he sums it all up together. These were all commended for their faith, whether they outwardly looked like great successes or whether outwardly they looked like horrible failures. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Only on that last day, when Christ returns and makes all things new, then they will experience with all believers through all time and space the saving work of God, the final fulfilment of God's promises. This makes us think, you know, we really should not judge things by earthly standards so much, doesn't it? Because things can be seen to be going very badly. Things around us can seem to be falling apart. Our life could seem to be in tatters. But we can walk on in faith, trusting God with assurance in Him. We could add to this kind of stories of faith many modern day examples like Hudson Taylor who went in 1857 to serve in China becoming like the Chinese not imposing Western culture and values on China but rather becoming like the Chinese esteeming their culture and just seeking to share the good news of Jesus with them like the hundreds and hundreds of missionaries who went to China taking their coffin because they knew they would die there and would never return, ready to die to share the good news with brothers and sisters around the world, fellow human beings who did not yet know the great blessing of God. Or like American businessman, R.G. Letourneau, he had an earth-moving business which... He, he thought, I should really give up my business and to be a Christian, I really need to go into mission or be a pastor. And his pastor told him, God needs Christian businessmen too. And so he said, okay, I'll be a businessman for God. And at first, he didn't do very well. He had some major debts. But incredibly, God blessed his business so greatly that he ended up giving 90% of his income away and only keeping 10% for himself, reverse tithing. So his, his saying was this, it's not how much of my money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. Maybe you'll like uh, another example of inspiring a uh, um, people of faith is um, Brother Andrew who went behind the Iron Curtain risking his own life to deliver Bibles to people in the former Soviet Union to encourage believers there and share the gospel. Maybe it's like uh, Joni Erickson who had a terrible injury and was paralyzed from the neck down but she didn't lose faith in God. Despite immense 
monumental challenge that she faced of suffering every day, she continued to trust that this was part of God's sovereign plan for her and that this would even be used by God to encourage many and bring about God's good purposes. She learned painting with her mouth. Um, she gave talks and she saw this as part of her life's calling from God that she would keep walking by faith. C.S. Lewis summed up faith in this way. Faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. Faith is not um, being irrational, but it is keeping yourself more in touch with reality, with rationality, keeping your feelings and your changing moods and circumstances in check and in line with that, that true reality that we know through Christ. That has been revealed in God's word, that we see fulfilled down through history, I'll leave you with one, um, uh, I guess, a story. I might, when I was uh, younger, I got, um, I got my dad this poster. My dad loved astronomy, um, and uh, he had, there was this picture of like these galaxies, and and it said like one of these maybe a bit cheesy quotes, but I feel like it's very profound. It said on that, "All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen." And isn't that true? When, when, you, when you put together all we observe from science, when we think of all of the advances of knowledge that we have, when we consider the world around us, when we consider our own experience of life, all we have seen teaches us to trust the sovereign Lord, the creator of all, for all we have not seen.